hear the word of the Lord. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there is a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him, because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog, after a flea. May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house." And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Please pray with me. Father, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Father, give us not only understanding but also faith to obey your word. Would you melt our hard hearts now as your spirit speaks to us through your word? 
Father, would, would your word have its intended effect on our hearts and our lives? We, de- we depend on you for this. Please have mercy and grace on us now in this hour. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we are talking about uh, vengeance, about returning evil for evil. And if you are a living, breathing human being, then you have had the opportunity to take vengeance on someone, and you probably have in your life. And if you're like most of us, it felt really good for a brief second when you took vengeance, when you in sort of indulged that craving of vengeance. And then if you're like most of us, it became sour in your mouth. The taste of vengeance became sour, and you, you, you realized that the Lord commands us not to take vengeance for a reason, because it's not ours to take. The Bible is very clear about vengeance. It says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So while it's very clear that we're not to take vengeance, many of us still do it. We still avenge ourselves in countless ways, even though we know we're not supposed to. And one reason we do this, beyond the simple fact that we're sinful, disobedient people, is I think that we don't understand and believe the logic beneath why God commands us to leave vengeance to Him and to instead show mercy. We don't don't believe and don't understand the logic beneath the command. And so today we're going to explore that, that logic. Uh, through this story, we really see the logic come to life. And, and in the story, we see not only why mercy is stronger than, venge- than vengeance, but also that the choice between the two reveals something of our hearts before God. The choice between vengeance and mercy reveals our hearts before God. It reveals something of David's heart. And in our own lives, it reveals something of our hearts. Put another way, how you treat someone when they wrong you is directly related to your view of God and your view of yourself and your relationship with the gospel. And so the way you respond when someone wrongs you becomes a mirror revealing your heart before the Lord. And if you will look honestly in the mirror, And at the grace of God, I think you can have an incredibly powerful and transformative encounter with God's mercy. And so that's my prayer today, that that as we talk about vengeance, what what begins to shine forth is actually the great mercy and love of God. And so to unfold all of this, we're going to look at three differences between vengeance and mercy. Three differences between vengeance and mercy, and I'm going to give them to you as we go if you're taking notes. So the first one is this. That vengeance is natural, whereas mercy is spiritual. This is the first difference. Whereas vengeance is natural, mercy is spiritual. And we see this in verses 1 through 7. You know, the opportunity for vengeance falls right into David's lap. And it's clear from the details of the story that God put this opportunity before David. I mean, of all the places that Saul could have stepped into, uh, to, could have stepped into to relieve himself, he chooses the particular cave that David and his men are hiding in. Obviously, this is the providence of God that has brought this to pass. 
And right at this moment is where you see the natural instinct toward vengeance really come alive in David and his men. David's men interpret this opportunity reflexively as license for vengeance. They say in verse 4, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. But what's interesting about that quotation is that it actually does not appear earlier in the narrative. God did not say those words to David. God had sworn to David that he would be king and that God would take the kingdom from Saul's hand, but he did not tell David that there was a day where, where his enemy was going to fall into his hands and he could do whatever he wanted to him. So what's happening? David's men are justifying vengeance. They are twisting God's word to authorize what they want to do, even though God has not actually allowed them to do it. Vengeance is a, a natural craving that we have as fallen human beings, that we are eager to justify and then to indulge. And, you know, you've seen this at work if you've ever split up a fight between your kids or any two kids, really. You know, this happened a lot with me and my brother growing up. I was the younger brother, and my brother would often start these fights. And then my, my parents would come in and break the fight up, and they'd say, what happened? And what do you think the first words out of my mouth were? Uh, were? He started it. <laughs> you know, instantly, he started it. And so, everything I just did, it's not my fault. And I was justified in doing it. What am I doing there? I'm justifying vengeance. No one had to teach me to do that. I was six years old, and I was already a pro at it. <laughs> Why? Because it was within me. It's a natural, fallen response. We reach instinctively for vengeance to help ourselves feel secure and to get back at our enemy. We've become a word unto ourselves, authorizing our own craving to return evil for evil. That's what we do. And it's only after David tips his toe, uh, dips his toe into vengeance and is struck to the heart that he sees vengeance for what it is. It's an affront to the authority of God. You know, typically, I think when we uh, read this detail about David cutting off a corner of Saul's robe, we see it immediately as an act of kindness towards Saul. You know, from the get-go, we see, oh, David didn't kill Saul, even though he had the opportunity to. But actually, David do, did do something wrong here. Otherwise, otherwise, why would it say David's heart struck him? So what's happening here in David cutting off a corner of Saul's robe is that David is symbolically taking away the kingdom from Saul. He's sort of taking a piece of the kingdom away because Saul's robe is a symbol of his kingly authority. And David is cutting that authority away from Saul himself. He's striking against the authority of the Lord's anointed. And in that moment, a different voice rises up to speak to David. And it's the voice of the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And David understands what really is happening in his, uh, when he's doing this. Look at verse 6. He says it how it is. The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. And so what interrupts David's vengeance is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In a sense, the word of God speaks into David's heart and it suspends his sinful act. And so this is why we need to understand vengeance as natural and mercy as spiritual. You know, the word 
within us, in ourselves, in our fallen selves, is strike back, get even, take vengeance. But the word of the Spirit is have mercy, be patient, leave it to me. And our choice of which voice we're going to listen to reveals something of our hearts. It reveals who has command of us. Is it the Lord to whom we submit or is it to our own fallen cravings, to ourselves? Already David is showing us what the true and righteous king does. He obeys the will of God over and against his own. And this leads us to our next point as we examine the power of mercy over vengeance. So we've seen just now that uh, vengeance is natural, whereas mercy is spiritual. And now our second point, second difference, is that vengeance is prideful, whereas mercy is humble. Vengeance is prideful, whereas mercy is humble. And we see this in the middle paragraph of the, of the text in verses 8 through five, uh, 15, You know, after David recognizes that vengeance would be an affront to the Lord's authority, he adopts a different approach, one of mercy and of honor. You know, for example, notice the way David speaks to Saul. You know, back in verse 4, Saul is simply the enemy. But in this middle paragraph, after David's change of heart, David calls him in verse 8, my Lord the King, in verse 11, my Father, in verse 14, King of Israel. He's speaking words of honor and deference to Saul. He's affirming who Saul is, that he is king, even though Saul is not living up to that office and to that calling. David affirms this in more than his words. In his posture, too, he bows down and he pays homage, not because Saul deserves it according to his behavior, but because Saul is indeed the Lord's anointed. And David recognizes that the, that the way he treats Saul is a reflection of his heart before the Lord. If he honors the Lord, he must too honor the Lord's anointed. You know, another dynamic here that I think is really important is how David, in a sense, humanizes Saul. You know, look at, look at verse 9, the beginning of his speech to Saul. He says, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? You know, instead of just blasting Saul for his impure motives, which Saul certainly has, and David probably is well aware of that, he actually presents a more generous explanation of Saul's behavior, which is that Saul is deceived. He's giving Saul just a little bit of an out, a little understanding, maybe to soften Saul's heart. And one thing that we love to do when we want to strike back at our enemy is dehumanize them. You know, we imagine their bad motives. We start painting other things they do in a negative light. And we give the worst explanation that we can for their behavior. And in that way, we rise above them as judge and critic and as the superior one. And from that place, well, we are more than justified then to take vengeance. Because look at them. But, you know, David had just listened to the voice of his men who told him to take vengeance. And now he is recognizing the same behavior in Saul. Saul's listening to the voice of others, being deceived. 
it seems to me that David is finding maybe the little common ground that he shares with Saul and is relating to him there. In other words, David is actually practicing some humility towards Saul. And as important as David's humility towards Saul is, what's more important is David's humility toward the Lord, before the Lord. David is able to take this posture towards Saul ultimately because he knows that God is judge in this situation. That's really the whole back half of his speech to Saul is the Lord's going to judge between me and you. And, you know, if you, this, this dynamic of, of trusting the Lord to be the judge, this lies at the heart of your choice to take vengeance or not. If you trust God, and if you trust that God is just and will work vengeance at the proper time like he has promised, then you, you, don't have to, you don't assume the role of judge. You don't think you need to because you know God has that role. But if you do not honor God as judge, you do not trust him to work vengeance at the proper time and in the proper way, then in your mind, the judgment seat is vacant and needs to be filled. And who's going to fill it? Well, you are, of course. You're going to step in to the role of judge, even though it doesn't belong to you. And that's exactly what happens when we take vengeance on somebody. We establish ourselves as judge of our own dispute. But could you imagine if our justice system worked that way? If the prosecutor was also the jury and the judge? If you had all the power to try a case, to decide a verdict, and to sentence your opponent, do you think that you would act justly? Of course not. You'd be drunk on your pain and on pride, and you would exaggerate the offense of your offender, and you would probably overpunish. We are not only unauthorized to be judge and to avenge, but we are, we are unqualified to be judge of our own disputes. We're unauthorized, we're unqualified. It's not for us. And yet, this is what we do when we take vengeance. We think of ourselves as God and righteous judge in the situation, and we're not. And so again, the choice between vengeance and mercy reveals our heart before God. If we take vengeance, it reveals that we think too highly of ourselves and too little of the Lord, and that we do not trust Him to judge and to punish, and that we think of ourselves as way better than our offender, even though we're sinners too. But if we have eyes to see that we are sinners in need of mercy, and if we trust the Lord to rightly judge between us and our offender and to enact vengeance at the proper time, then we can choose mercy. It's about what's in your heart. So we've seen so far that vengeance is natural, whereas mercy is spiritual. Vengeance is prideful, whereas mercy is humble. And now we see the results of mercy, and it leads us to this third difference between the two. Here it is. Where, whereas vengeance is destructive, mercy produces reconciliation. Whereas vengeance is destructive, mercy produces reconciliation. In verses 16 through 22, we see 
that the result of David's mercy and trust in the Lord is reconciliation between him and Saul. Saul repents and more than that, affirms that David is righteous and that David is indeed the true king. And David, in turn, swears to Saul that he will deal graciously to Saul and to his offspring. You know, if David had just taken Saul's life, it more than likely would have led to more conflict, more bloodshed, as many vengeance stories in the Old Testament and in literature generally do. And as we see over and over in the many wars and conflicts of history, vengeance cannot open a path to healing. It only gives birth to more conflict, whereas mercy can lead to healing and often does produce reconciliation. So why don't we choose mercy more if we see plainly that vengeance is so ineffective? Why do we insist on vengeance and, and, and shy away from mercy and, and make it the last resort? I think there's a couple reasons. I think one is our sense of justice. And of course, justice is good. It's right that we have a, a sense of justice. Evil does need to be punished. The problem with vengeance is that it is impatient and it establishes the wrong punisher. This is really important to see in this, in this story. David does not pursue mercy at the expense of justice. Actually, he pursues it in expectation of justice yet to come. David's not sweeping things under the rug. You know, you've been hunting my life, but it's okay. Let's not worry about it. No, that's not what David is saying. He's, he's honest. He calls it like it is. He says in verse 11, I have not sinned against you though you hunt my life to take it. Mercy is not sweeping things under the rug. Mercy comes from depending, from trusting in God's coming vengeance. David is not naive. He's honest and direct. The basis of his ability to return good for evil is God's impending judgment. And we think if we don't take vengeance, then wrongs go unpunished, but that's just not true. So I think that's one reason that we don't choose mercy. And I think a second reason that we choose vengeance over mercy is that we don't want to appear weak. You know, we don't want to be walked all over. But actually look at how strong mercy is in this story alone. Does David appear weak in the story? Or foolish? Vulnerable? Yes. Patient? Yes. Deferential, yes, but not weak, not foolish. Mercy is strong because mercy relies on God. And vengeance is weak because our strength is weak, and vengeance depends on us. You know, by the way, I should clarify about this, that mercy does not mean that you just lie down and take mistreatment until God strikes your enemy dead, okay? You know, there are authorities that God has put in place for us to go to, to bring forward if someone's wronging you, both in the church and in the state. You don't have to just lie down and take it forever. And that's especially, I, I think it's worth mentioning very clearly if, if there's abuse happening in the home. If you, are, if you are being abused, do not lie down and take it. There are people you can go to and get help. 
So know that. Please, come to the elders if that is happening. But what we're talking about is not just lying down and taking things forever. What we're talking about is vengeance, taking matters into your own hands. And that is what the Lord says, do not do. Vengeance may appear strong, but it's not. Ultimately, vengeance is weak and destructive, and therefore its power, compale, or its power pales in comparison to the power of mercy, which can melt hearts and work repentance and reconciliation. Have you seen that? I mean, think about your life. Have you not at some point experienced the power of mercy, even just interpersonally? A conflict finally come to, the, to an end because somebody said, I forgive you. Because somebody owned their side of the conflict too, whatever it is. You know, I, I suspect that many relationships in here are strained and that vengeance is, is one of the dynamics that is alive and well. Have you tried mercy yet? What might happen if you take an honest look at yourself before the Lord? Might you be stirred to get up off the judgment seat of the situation and let God be judge? Might you be free to show mercy if you would take a real honest look at yourself before the Lord, before the gospel? Mercy is powerful. It can melt hearts. Give it a try. So let's zoom out now and look somewhat holistically at this choice between vengeance and mercy, especially the place of this story in, in the narrative of 1 Samuel. The main point of this whole episode is that it reveals the righteousness of Israel's true king. Look at what Saul says in verse 17. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And then down to verse 20, he says, Now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. In choosing mercy over vengeance, David is revealed as the more righteous one, and thus the true good king of Israel. And in this way, David prefigures Christ, who is more righteous yet. Christ is the true and better David. Christ is the truly spiritual man, for he is conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who humbles himself before the Father and says, at great cost to himself, not my will, but yours be done. In his mercy, he works reconciliation for the world. He forsakes Vengeance before his enemies in his trial, in his arrest, in his trial on the cross, he has ample opportunity to take vengeance. Instead, he commits himself to mercy and entrusts himself to God who judges justly. First Peter 2 puts it like this, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In Christ's act of mercy, he is lifted up and revealed as the true king 
of Israel and indeed of the world. What is revealed of Christ's heart when he, cho- when he chooses mercy over vengeance, though he is the Lord of all and has all the right to enact vengeance, what do we see? We see righteousness. We see a heart set on the will of God and love of the people of God. What is revealed in our hearts, in our track record of choosing between mercy and vengeance? What's revealed is unrighteousness. What's revealed is pride. And so we have a problem. We cannot simply imitate David's mercy as compelling as it is. We can't just imitate it because our hearts are desperately sick. It is not within us to be merciful. It is within us to show vengeance. If we are to be people of mercy, we must receive a heart of mercy. We must be joined to one who is righteous. And in Christ, that's what we get. Christ is to us what David was to Saul, the righteous king who showed mercy to his enemies. We need that king to dwell within us. We need that heart of that king in us. Until we die to sin and live to righteousness through the indwelling spirit of God who joins us to the righteous one, we will never be merciful people. What do you need in order to show mercy? You need an an encounter with the mercy of God. When your enemy wrongs you, what do you need? You don't need the right words for the ultimate takedown. You don't need a good opportunity to get back at them. You need a raw encounter with the humbling gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to be reminded I am a sinner. I need mercy. And I have received it by one who is more righteous than I. In short, you need a right view of yourself and of your enemy and of God. And you get that view in the gospel that you were an enemy of God and he had mercy on you. When you believe in Jesus and are indwelt by the Spirit, you have what you need for mercy. Indwelled by the Spirit, humbled by the gospel, reconciled to Christ, trusting in God's vengeance, this is how you move forward in mercy. How can you be merciful? Indwelled by the Spirit, humbled by the gospel, reconciled to Christ, trusting in God's vengeance, This is the recipe. Mercy is not within you outside of Christ. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. David is on the run. And what's his way out? It's mercy. Have you tried mercy yet? Think about the problem in your life right now, a conflict. Is vengeance going to solve it? I can assure you it will not. Try mercy. 
Let me end with this uh, passage from Romans 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. My friends, the evil of your heart was overcome by the goodness of Jesus Christ. Vengeance is God's job. Mercy is ours. So let us get to work in the Spirit by His grace. Let's pray. Father, we are humbled. Jesus Christ is more righteous than we are by miles and miles and miles. We recognize, Father, that we are people who need mercy, who have nothing to show for ourselves but pride, arrogance, disobedience, that we do not think rightly about you, that we do not think rightly about ourselves. We rely entirely on the transforming power of the gospel. And we thank you that we have it in Christ. And I pray that you would stir mercy in us as we continue to to seek out all the riches of the gospel, to rehearse these wonderful truths in our hearts and our minds. Make us, Father, a people who are so close to the gospel, to the Lord, that our reflex becomes mercy rather than vengeance. We depend on you for all of these things. We ask that you would help us in them. We praise you, Father, for you are good. Pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.